What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Kind of Funny X-Cast, your home for all things Xbox here at Kind of Funny. Of course, I'm one of your hosts, Snowbike Mike, and today I'm joined by my two dudes, my favorite guys here on planet Earth, Mr. Paris Lilly and Gary Witta. Gary, what's good, homie? How are you on a Friday? I'm good. It's been a long week. I'm tired. I'm glad to be here at the end uh, at the end of the week with you, uh, kicking off the weekend, uh, as we always do, chatting about some video games. You know what, Gary? It's going to be a good time. And I see see Loodle over there. You're going to upgrade to what a six word showdown now? Six letter. We have si we have we added six letter words to the mix now. So when you go to when you go to LoodleGame.com, you might get a five letter word to solve. You might get a six letter word to solve we're trying to we're trying to keep it fresh uh we wanted to do something to um uh celebrate six million players uh we're actually wow, closing in on seven million now but uh, yeah we just rolled out the six word the six letter words uh yesterday and uh more more to come we've still got still got more plans all right well somebody who's always keeping it fresh is my guy paris lily paris welcome back how's your week going big dog how are you I'm good. Busy, busy, busy with work. A lot of, a lot of stuff would work this week. Uh, but I'm going to selfishly say at the top, I want a Steam Deck because I got my updated um, Steam Deck reservation uh, and, and I'm in Q3. Yeah. So I have to wait until Q3. And yeah. And did you, did, maybe we're going to talk about it later, but you see, I just saw today on Twitter some people have got Game Pass running on it on it yeah, now. Like it's uh, all, yeah. it's all yeah. happening. That just mm -hmm. made me even more jealous. Like, oh my God, <laughs> now you can get Windows on it and Game Pass and all that. Yeah, the win like the Windows one. drivers are out. Yeah. I, I know yeah. it's an good. Xbox show, but like so, one of my friends, um, uh, Mike Wynn, who I used to work with at IGN, posted he was playing Persona 4 Golden at 60 frames per second on his Steam Deck. And I was like, God damn it. <sighs> I need it. I need it. Yeah, oh, uh, there, there's people playing Destiny Two on it now. Now Destiny, that the, you know, yeah. the, the Windows drivers, I'm like, oh, I just want it. I just want to play around with it and tinker. I just want one so bad. Of course, if you are one of the lucky few to get your Steam Deck, Aaron Greenberg and the team have been working over with Xbox and Steam. They've put out some approved games that are now running well and going forward, and some games that are not quite ready yet or not uh, ready for the Steam Deck. So go check that out. Um, Paris, unfortunately, I got pushed back as well to Q3, so I am down with you. I'm feeling it, so we turn our eyes to Mr. Witter, and we just steal his when his comes I should, in. I, we I, get should, that I, for you. I actually should check mine. I, I didn't get an email. Does that mean, if it slipped, would I have gotten an email? Because I didn't no, get one. you have to go look. You have to manually oh, I, I yeah. mean, I, I, I'll, Obviously, I'm on the show right now, but I'll, I'll go check. It's entirely possible that I slip back as well. Everyone else well, the mistake, that. it turns out the mistake is if you got the 64 gigabyte version, like on day one, you'd probably be getting one in Q1. It's mm, the, okay. five, the 512s are the one that have been pushed back the most because they underestimated the demand on them. You oh. know, I don't know why they underestimate. It's, it's like that every time. Usually, like, you know, because I get the new iPhone every year and you know, there's always that, like, 5 o'clock in the morning, you got to go reserve it or, it'll, or it'll, you'll, you'll lose the, the day one window. And it's always the, the high, mm -hmm. uh, you know, RAM models. Uh, you know, the, the, usually if you, if you leave it too late, the one model you can get is, like, the entry-level model that, that fewer people want. Mm. yeah I, I i got the fight i got the fight i remember getting the 512 because it also comes with like nicer screen and a nicer carry case and all this kind of stuff right there's a it's definitely the deluxe version gotta go big right yeah you gotta go oh, big yeah. go big or go home well guys i want to start off the show with something fun it came from the xbox twitter account yesterday so i need both of you even barrett out there and everybody listening and watching clear your minds right now clear your minds don't think of anything get it empty because i have one simple question for you without thinking what order are the controller buttons in on the Xbox? Paris Lily, you're up first. How do you see the order of controller buttons? 
Oh my God, you really did put me on the spot. <laughs> are we, are we, are we, I understand order. Are we going clockwise or? No, however you see it in your mind, Gary, that's what the whole thing is. Clear your mind and just read it off in your mind. What are the buttons uh, on the controller? B-A-X-Y. B-A-X-Y. Okay, Paris, let's hold that for a second. B-A-X-Y right, for I'm Paris. I'm going to cheat and look because yep, I literally Gary Witta, please uh, let me know if what I, you if I'm If I'm going clockwise from six o'clock, I see A-X-Y-B. Okay, Gary Whittle, I like that one right there. And now, Mr. Right. Bear Courtney, what do you go with? See, I'm broken by the Super Nintendo controller because I think mm -hmm. ABXY. ABXY. So Barrett actually is with the majority, 55% on this Twitter poll, went with ABXY. Me and Gary Whittle both thinking clockwise from the six o'clock logo. So, Gary, I'm with you on that format of AXYB. Mr. Paris Lilly, you are out there, my dude. I like that. <laughs> you're starting with B A X Y, so you're starting over at the three o'clock. I yeah. like that right there. Uh, that's very interesting. Okay, okay. This, guys. this, by the way, the fact that we can all just we all we all just know where those buttons are, right? Like it's it's just gonna baked into your into your into your brain at this point from using it so much. This is one of the reasons why, even though I am a multi-platform gamer, I generally. If it's like a 50-50 multi-platform title, like I'll, I'll go to Xbox for a couple of reasons. And one of them actually is I just I'm I'm a millisecond faster on remembering where the buttons are. Like I know exactly where X and Y are and A and B are on an Xbox controller. But if I have to remember in a split second where triangle or square is on the PlayStation, I know where it is. I'm just a fraction of a second slower, right? And you wanna and you wanna try to, you know, narrow those margins as as much as you can. So that's why the Xbox uh, has the edge for me sometimes. Yeah, it's interesting, Gary. I I have the PlayStation ones nailed down, and it's always fun when you're with somebody and you're trying to break down the different lingo. But it is the Nintendo controls that always get me because they mess with the A and the yes. B button, mm -hmm. and so they Mike, mess do, with do, your mind. Do it right now. Do clockwise from six o'clock on the PlayStation Five controller. Uh, that's X Square Triangle Circle. So you're just as fast. Yeah, I got I I got that for sure. It's just <laughs> yeah, Nintendo playing games with my heart on what is actually moving me forward and what's taking the me back. The worst, and we all know it, right? We, we, it. we call it Nintendo fingers in my house when you have to uh, <laughs> when you're playing an Xbox game and then you go to the Switch or vice versa and you find yourself constantly like backing out of menus because you've got your A and your B mm -hmm. reversed. The worst. Now, guys, we have our final icebreaker question from one of our viewers out there. Kind of funny, best friend Mike. Roden, we've gone down the list. Now we're on to the final question, and it's geared towards me, but actually it's going to be fun because I want to get you two involved, my two gaming dads. This one's kind of about like playing with friends, multiplayer gaming, and how your schedules uh, go align. So I want to know what your guys' thoughts are on this one. But Mike writes in, he says, Mike, sounds like you have a solid crew you game with regularly. Do you have certain days of each week that are blocked out to play together, or is it more spontaneous? So, Mike, thanks for writing in with all those fun icebreakers to jump off of that. Actually, I'm really lucky. I have a set of guys and gals I play with every single night. We just kind of hang out. It almost feels like I have roommates because we're always in the same Discord call, just kicking it and playing games each and every week. And it, it's not spontaneous. It's us playing every single night together. We have nothing else going on. No work on the late night. No friends. No family. So, it's just a bunch of dudes just playing games, hanging out, right? And... It's more spontaneous on the games we choose. And perfect example was last night we jumped into Sea of Thieves. And I asked two of them to download it. It's about a 60 gig game. And one of them was like, hey, I don't think I'll be able to download that fast enough. Cloud, working on the console, kicked it on right then and there. Played with no problem. So I'm really lucky in my situation to have a core group of friends who love playing games. That's what our friendship is based around. So we just play games every single night. And we jump from game to game. I've tried to nail them down of like, 
hey, Mondays are MMO Mondays. We're going to do this, and we'll fall off after two weeks or so. But it's easiest just to get in the room. Hey, what movie, what TV show is everybody watching? What game do y'all want to play? And we kind of just sync up from there. But it, it is really nice to have a core group of uh, friends to play games with. But that's where I wanted to segue into you two because, of course, you both are fathers. You both have families, right? I know you guys game all the time. Like, what is that like to game with a core group of friends? Do you block out time? Is it spontaneous where Greg Miller hits you up on a Tuesday night and says, <laughs> play this game with me? What? I'll start with you, Paris. What's that like, playing with others and your schedule? Uh, for me, it's pretty much don't count on me until after 9 p.m. West Coast time um, for anything. Okay. <laughs> so it, it really doesn't matter day of the week. I mean, obviously, the weekends are more flexible. But during the week, I'm usually not available till till after 9 p.m. To hop on and be able to you know just play with some friends and obviously do co-op stuff and obviously what whatever but um yeah it's you know it's just reality of life i mean work family stuff obviously comes first when it comes to that during the week yeah I, the 9 p.m every night that's my favorite part right there paris has just like here's the time you can hit me up after and actually paris oh saw a lot of great comments about you and like Man, Paris has like such an incredible schedule. How does he do this? What is he doing? Like people are trying to break down. How does Superman do what he does? And I was laughing, having a good time. So it is cool to hear that. It's like I tell people all the time, you sacrifice sleep. That's the only way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's literally the only way because obviously I have a full-time job already that I have to do. And then, like I said, family stuff. I got kids that are in sports. So it's usually late at night when I can actually jump on and dedicate some time to be playing games and like i'm saying it's usually after nine nine o'clock you know like my like right now my wife and i aren't watching any any shows together so she's watching the housewives of san antonio or something so that kind of gives me a little more time to go play something but then i've been obsessing on watching secession secession i can't even say it right so yeah it's usually late at night when i i jump on and play but um yeah it's just it's what you got to do like a sleep mm-hmm. okay okay gary Winter, you have a newborn in the house you have done oh. so many things. What is that like for you to play, of course, your schedule and also to play with others? What's that like for you? She's actually five months old now. It's it's really it's, it's yeah. shot by. But you know, yeah. it, it, as they say, the um, the uh, the hours are long, but the days are short. No, wait. Yes, that's right. No, <laughs> the days are long, but the years are short. That's how it oh. goes. <laughs> Okay, the okay. days are long, but the years are short. They the, the days seem endless, but then they grow up faster than you uh, than you realize. Oh yes, okay. Um, it's funny when I was listening to you just dis- describe your uh, your your gaming lifestyle with your with your friends there, Mike. Like, ah, you know, we've got nothing else going on. We might as well play games. <laughs> like, it's fascinating to me, and I'm also, if I admit it, a little bit envious because that is so fucking different from my reality. You know, I work all day. I knock off at around you know five six o'clock. I go upstairs and that's my family time. You know, we make dinner, you know, uh, corral the kids, get them into bed, you know, maybe by like eight or nine o'clock, you've got both the kids in bed and then you kind of crash down on the couch and it's like, if you've got energy to do anything, you're lucky, like watch it to catch up on a TV show, play a game for a couple of hours. Sometimes I just want to go to bed. So this is why my gaming backlog and my TV and Paris is nodding because he knows, he knows the struggle is real. Like the backlog is long because like this, you've got maybe an hour or two out of the day. And I really um related to what you said about having to steal from sleep because sometimes it's staying up late after my wife and kids are in bed i'll put the headphones on headphones gotta have them when you're gaming in a family if you're gonna play late if you don't want if you don't want your wife texting you at like half past midnight saying you turn it down please i'm trying to sleep you gotta have yeah. the headphones uh and then sometimes i'm trying to remember what was the last game that did i think it was actually halo infinite when you remember when i was like really really like popping off on, on multiplayer i was playing every chance i get get up in the morning six o'clock 
and play for a couple of hours before the rest of the family wakes up. Like you'll you'll sneak any hours in that you can. The problem, of course, when um, you're playing with friends is you know you've got to you've got all, you've got to find a way to make all your schedules line up. And that's the problem with me is by the time I'm available to like jump on and join a multiplayer lobby, especially because I'm on the West Coast and the East Coast people are often ahead of me. It's it's tough to find a way to, to sync those all up. So you're actually very blessed, Mike. I hope you appreciate this, but you've got a group of friends that you're able to get together with on a regular basis and play regularly. That's not easy for, for a lot of people. A lot of people aren't that lucky. Um, I'm definitely envious of of, of, of that because I'm used to do it back in the day. Um, but of course, when I was doing it, multiplayer was crap, right? I remember we, <laughs> having having a couple of hours to play Gears of War with some, with, with some friends, and we spent most of that in the lobby watching the fucking wheel spin around trying to <laughs> connect into a game. Now that multiplayer is much better, and we've got these gig connections and everything's great. The problem is, I, I I've got too much else going on to actually, um, you know, to find the time to play the game. So it you 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 find the time where and when you can but it really is like paris says you've got it, it, it's a really good analogy you've literally got got to steal time there's only so many hours in the day a certain number of those are just like again it's work family things that you can't steal from the only thing left is fucking sleep you got to steal from that it's all it's all you've got left you got to steal Man. from your own time all right well guys thank you so much for that and thank you to mike for writing in and giving us some fun icebreaker questions remember each and every week, you can write into the Kind of Funny X-Cast. You can ask your questions. You give us fun topics to talk about. You can connect with us in an awesome way if you support us over on Patreon. And guess what? I'm going to tell you all about that right now because this is the Kind of Funny X-Cast. We post each and every Saturday at 6 a.m. West Coast, Best Coast time on YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games, RoosterTeeth.com, and, of course, on your favorite podcast service around the globe. Don't forget that we are now Epic Games Partners, which means if you are buying V-Bucks in Fortnite, making your jelly bean look dope in Fall Guys, or if you're buying games off the Epic Games Store, you can use our Epic Creator Code, kind of funny at checkout. It's no additional cost to you in a brand new way to support the team, just like our Patreon producers support us over on Patreon. Like I said, you can write into the show via Patreon if you're supporting at the silver tier or above, but... We want to give a big shout out to our Patreon producers for the month of March. So thank you to Gordon McGuire, Fargo Brady, Pranksky, Dan, Golden Spider B, Tyler Ross, Delady Twinning, First Responder ND, Julian the Gluten-Free Gamer, James Hastings, and Casey Andrews. Of course, we'd like to thank the sponsors for this week's Kind of Funny X-Cast, Upstart, ExpressVPN, Chime, and Babbel. But myself and the team will tell you all about that in just a little bit. Guys, let's kick off the episode because we got some fun stuff to talk about. And I'm also going to pose the question to you about open worlds and Starfield at the end of the show. But let's talk right now because we just got done with a big year. 2021 was a killer year for Xbox. and It was a killer year on Metacritic. We now have Metacritic coming out with what they call Metacritic's 12th annual game publisher ranking. So 12 years of this and Xbox took number one. So let's talk about the breakdown coming directly from Metacritic and what they wrote. So on Xbox game side, we're talking about them. Previous year's rank was sixth out of all of the publishers. Their average Metacritic score for 2021 last year was 87.4. They had 10 scored products, five distinct titles, 100% good, 0% bad. And in the category, three of them were considered great games amongst their ratings. So this is what Metacritic wrote. Metacritic's number one publisher of the year. It is very rare for a publisher to average above 80 for its releases across a single calendar year. But how often does a company average above 85? Never. 
until this year. Our runaway winner of this year's Publisher of the Year honors, Microsoft, certainly published fewer titles in 2021 than it does in a typical year, but what games did it publish were uniformly excellent, making Microsoft the only publisher with a 100% success rate. Three different titles scored 90 or higher, also um, tops among all publishers. The latest Forza Horizon Racer, a sequel to Psychonauts, and the Xbox Series X version of Microsoft Flight Simulator. Their successes almost make Halo Infinite seem like a disappointment with a mere 87. Can Microsoft maintain its quality control once Activision Blizzard is welcome into the fold? Stay tuned. So big congratulations to the Xbox Game Studios team for an awesome year over on Metacritic, taking first place in the Metacritic publisher rankings here, 12th annual, number year number 12 for them. But let's check this out. The rankings for 2021. Number one, of course, Microsoft and Xbox Game Studios, 87.4. Last year, they were in sixth place. Number two, Sony with 81.3. Number three, Humble Games, 80.9. Number four, Activision Blizzard at 80.6. Bethesda Softworks at number five at 80.2. Capcom at number six at 80.6. And Bandai Namco at seven at 78.5. Guys, let's first off celebrate the awesome year should say the back half of the year we had with Xbox Game Studio. You see that the publisher rankings, number one on Metacritic. What does that make you feel like, Paris, to have some great games to end the year and for a whole calendar year? Paris, you're muted. Oh, didn't realize I was muted. Sorry about that. Um, it, it, it's funny because, you know, as we were talking about a lot of these games in real time, you know, we were obviously celebrating them, how great they are. Like, as an example, Psychonauts 2, you know, it's a game that we absolutely love. Forza Horizon 5 was another great game. I mean, if you're into that type of sim experience, you know, Flight Simulator, you know, is another one. And obviously, you know, we all lauded the campaign and, and the multiplayer for Halo Infinite because I think it had a really strong launch. So... It's not like you thought adding it all up that made them the best high scoring publisher of the year, but kind of makes sense, right? And this is good for Microsoft. This is good for Xbox because, you know, we've talked about it many times. They've had the reputation coming out of the previous generation. They didn't have these high quality games that they could, you know, put out there to spotlight and, and to have the community celebrate. So this is kind of the start of where they're going with all these studio acquisitions and, and all the internal studios they already had and the games that we know are coming here in the next couple of years. So again, if, if you're an Xbox gamer, I think it's pretty exciting and, and you should be excited to see that you had all those quality games in 2021. And then we know what's coming here in the near future as well. So I, it, it's, it's setting the bar, it's setting the expectation like, okay, this is what I want to see moving forward from Xbox Game Studios, right? I want to see these quality AAA experiences coming from you. And they delivered in 2021. And um, obviously, we'll, we'll see what they deliver in 2022 and beyond. Gary Witta, he talks about excitement. He talks about a great year. Now we look at this year, 2022. Can Xbox run it back? Well, well, we'll find out soon enough, but I think the, the, the signs are good. Again, those, those Metacritic numbers, obviously, you know, an indication that Microsoft just had a, you know, a very, very good year, an uncommonly good year. Some of it's a little bit luck, right? A bunch of these get like Halo was supposed to be last year, right? That would have split their, their numbers. Although, right. as you pointed out, that was actually one of their lower, lower ranking uh, mm-hmm. titles. But, you know, yeah, between Flight Simulator, which obviously is just an astonishing 
achievement and you know forza which has cleaned up uh and halo and, and age of empires they just had they just had a very very uh good year and i'm sure you know champagne corks are, are popping at uh microsoft and again <laughs> as much as we try to stay out of it i'm sure it did rustle some jimmies in kind of the console war areas of the uh of the of, uh, yeah. of the internet oh, yeah. um with the xbox fans you know kind of claiming bragging rights and the, and the sony fans in second place I'm, I'm sure making some very cogent arguments about why those numbers are invalid and Sony's in fact the best and on and on it goes, you got to feed that beast, right? So no, they, they had a tremendous year and it's a, it's a good question to ask about like, can they maintain that momentum? Because they are now going into a year that is defined uh, by these, by these major acquisitions, right? Bethesda and, and Activision Blizzard back to back. Everyone was already, you know, asking the question, what are the, you know, what are these uh, major studios going to look like under Microsoft's, stewardship you know major major existing franchises like call of duty uh major new franchises like uh starfield uh all eyes were on microsoft already but the fact that they're coming off you know a banner year in terms of delivering really really quality games you know is just i just kind of just magnifies that attention on them going forward yes i want to jump in after what gary just said right there because that is something when i was starting to break down okay well what does 2022 look like right and we kind of still have this breakdown of Xbox Game Studios, Activision Blizzard, and Bethesda, right? And we'll throw Activision on the side because they're technically not under the umbrella right. quite yet. But Bethesda is, right? But they're also here in this publisher ranking separate from Microsoft and Game Studio and Xbox Game Studios, right? And when I looked at the Xbox Game Studios proper that we broke down those 15 studios, this year kind of looks bleak from that side, right? It looks like we are going to be carried by Starfield, Hopefully Redfall that was, you know, touted for the summer, but we don't know where it's at. We have maybe kind of rumors of Forza Motorsport 8. We don't know what's happening with Hellblade 2 and that release date yet. And it seems like everything else is 2023 and beyond. You know, do we still put a feather in the cap if Bethesda wins this all next year, let's say? Or what happens with Xbox Game Studios proper here without any big titles on the way? Well, I, th I think it brings up a, a question that, you know, I I've seen talked a, a lot you know, this week on, on social media. And, you know, it was because PlayStation did, did a state of play, even though it was only mm -hmm. 20 minutes long. Should Microsoft or should Xbox be doing more kind of, you know, direct type events throughout the year to keep people updated on the things that they're working on? Or do you hold it all until whatever the quote unquote E3 event is going to be and just put it all out at once? I am personally in the camp of, I'd rather them have regular communication about the things that they're working on to kind of let people set the expectations of the year of what we're going to get from Xbox Game Studios. I actually think they did a way at this point last year, I think they did a way better job than they're doing this year as far as communicating about games. Because, I mean, let's be honest, the only games that we know we're getting this year right now are Redfall and Starfield. Forza yep. is a, is a maybe true. that that's true. a rumor. We don't know anything else. I mean, you know, we're knowing it tunic, you know, they're going to partner with certain people on like, yeah, yeah, yeah. titles, you know, like obviously stalker two games like replaced are probably going to get delayed out of this year due to what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. But I want to know, I want to be able to set the, again, we're, this is an Xbox show. So talking as an Xbox gamer, I want to know what can I expect to play from Xbox Game Studios this year. And I really shouldn't have to wait until May or June mm. to kind of know what's going to happen if you really don't have anything the first half of the year. So I wish that communication was a little better. I'm hopeful that, okay, even though it's not been what I personally expect, maybe in June, 
we do get this big blowout and we find out there's a couple surprise titles that they have not talked about that we are going to get along with Starfield and Redfall. Maybe Forza, Forza Motorsport really does come out this yep. year. That obviously would be another feather in their cap as well. But I think overall, you know, we talk about it a lot. If Redfall and Starfield are the only games that wind up coming out this year, that's okay because we are still in a pandemic. I, 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 I don't want to sell that short that game development is very hard right now. We're seeing delays all over the place. We now got, you know, the Ukraine-Russia thing, which is developing, uh, which is stopping a lot of game development, you know, in, in Eastern Europe right now. So so we have to be mindful of that and and understand that, you know, the world isn't the world that it was three years ago because of everything with the pandemic. So if those are only two games that come out, so be it. If not, I wish they would talk about it earlier. That That's kind of my only thing. But going back to what I originally think said, Due to the success they had in 2021, there is now an expectation on the quality of titles that will come out of Xbox Game Studios moving forward. So, yeah, when we do get Redfall, I'm expecting it to be, if we're going to use the Metacritic score thing, a high 80s, 90 type game. Same with Starfield. I mean, Forza Motorsport, obviously, due to the success of uh, Forza Horizon 5, you know, on and on. Now I want to see these highly scored quality games come from Xbox Game Studios now and for the foreseeable future. Yeah, right now, Gary, of course, we talk about Xbox Game Studios. Like I said, at number four, Activision Blizzard. We'll see that deal go through next year whenever that's dated, right? Then at number five, Bethesda Softworks, which seems to be carrying the load this year if we're going to look at it on the Metacritic publisher rating, which they have the two games that are most likely slated for this year, as opposed to what we don't know. But I want to keep going off of what Paris just brought up, which is that conversation we saw online of should Xbox host more mini inside Xboxes or an Xbox state of play type video. Are you into that, Gary? Because what I see a lot of is we get great communication. I don't want to, I don't want to go against PlayStation because they did a good job communicating what we were expected to see there for 20 minutes. I think the fans got a little too excited bringing up Metal Gear Solid, talking about everything else, right? Like, we did that, right? And so when you look at it now on the Xbox side, we do have a good cadence, like Paris brought up, right? Phil and the team are doing, you know, E3. They'll probably do Gamescom. They do Game Awards, right? Those are our big standout moments. Do you want to see the team come out with these and have the moments where the fans are going to bash them for not the best 20 minutes? Are you on the side of, hey, 20 minutes of showing me games is great. I like that, right? Right. Where do you fall after what we just had with PlayStation's last state of play? Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I think it's almost a little bit of a weird blind spot in what is otherwise, I think, a very, very uh, well-oiled kind of communications machine that Microsoft mm. has going going on right now. Like, like it's like a little weird thing. Like on a week-to-week basis, I think they actually do this really, really well. I follow the Xbox channel on YouTube, and one of the one of the weird little kind of habits that I have every weekend, just a thing that I always do every every weekend is I watch the uh, This Week in Xbox yeah, video yeah. that Major Nelson mm-hmm. hosts. And it's just, they do a really good job in like 10 or 15 minutes. Even if it, even if there's not necessarily a bunch of games, you know, every week that are of personal interest to me, there's usually like something, but not everything's my, my cup of tea. But it just, make, it just does a really good job in 10 or 15 minutes of making me kind of feel like the Xbox ecosystem is vibrant. It's alive. There's stuff happening. Like there's new games on Game Pass. There's new games in the store. Uh, there's new DLC for this or that. You know, there's a special event happening in this game and that game. And it just kind of makes you feel like you're part of something that's always happening, that's vibrant. There's always shit going on. They just do a really, really good job, I think, of kind of making it feel like you're part of 
something that is always kind of popping off every week. There's like, there's never like a, a week in Xbox where nothing, like I've never seen that this week in Xbox where Major Nelson's like, nope, nothing this week. Like there's always something. Um, and I think that's, I think that's, that's really, really good. So, you know, fair, they, they, they do that and, and they, and they own that little this week in Xbox uh, video space and, and they've done very well. What's interesting though, in the bigger picture, in terms of those, in terms of those big blowout events that we all enjoy so much, there's obviously been a bit of a sea change from the days when those events were structured around, you know, E3 and like you said, Gamescom and stuff at Summer Games Fest and these kind of big things. And that, that, that they still are to some extent, but clearly what we're seeing is the industry kind of moving away from that. Like E3's gone, E3's going away. And so, you know, in, in anticipation of that, we've already seen, like Nintendo recalibrated years ago. They don't really care about what's happening at E3. They just do their directs. They do them on their, on their own schedule. And, you know, they've, they've created a, a, a culture a sense of like anytime Nintendo says, oh, there's going to be a direct tomorrow, everyone sits, oh, I've got a direct. And everyone kind of like, what you know, gets up and, and watches it live. And we're always, always, it's like a little mini Christmas morning every time Nintendo does a direct. Sony, to some extent, has created a similar atmosphere with State of Play. When they say State of Play, we're all, we all uh, pay attention. Now, it obviously, obviously depends on, you know, from event to event like is it a good like this this most recent state of play i thought was quite underwhelming most the most recent nintendo direct was very good but i've seen that i've seen that flipped as well nintendo's done underwhelming direct so they're not always going to be bangers but at least no. they do them there's a sense yeah. that like nintendo could drop a direct or sony could drop a state of play at any time and so there's always that sense of like, anticipation like oh, it's been a while since a state of play might there be a new one soon and and they've done a good job with that microsoft doesn't really have that anymore like they again they they, they had that kind of inside xbox brand but they never really used it they've they've done them in the past paris you know you've hosted one of them they do they do still do those big <laughs> blowout events but it's like it's i don't know they don't they, they're not they don't feel like a regular part of microsoft's kind of communications mm-hmm. calendar the same way like we think we know what a nintendo direct is we know what a state of play is microsoft doesn't feel like it has a version of that that is as you know up to date and like oh you know no one's asking like when's the next inside xbox going to be because they don't really do them on the, the same regularity as the state of plays or directs but i would like them to i don't know why they don't they obviously for whatever reason have, have made the decision that it's not part of their strategy you know they do their weekly updates um and they'll they'll probably do one big event a year based around you know whatever's left whether it be you know keely fest or um you know gamescom or whatever they do their big and then when they do it, they really do it. Like we've all, we all remember, and they still do it to something. Obviously, the, the, the pandemic's kind of thrown it for a loop. But like we all remember fondly those big events when they shove everyone inside a massive Borg cube, right? And everything's lit up green. And yeah, the Axel Spencer or whoever uh-huh. yeah, yeah. will come out. And like it's a big, big event. There's celebrities. And it's, it's a fun thing to kind of feel like you're a part of. I, to some extent, the pandemic has kind of, you know, uh, uh, really upended that. But, this, but the, you know, Sony's doing fine with uh, State of Play um nintendo's doing great with the direct i if it were up to me yeah i would love to see microsoft have a regular um equivalent of that but again for whatever reason i'm sure their marketing people could tell you why they just don't think it's as important a part of their overall strategy so since you said it i i i I will say that obviously yes i i got to host a couple events for xbox Mm -hmm. so i got a little Mm -hmm. bit of a peek behind the curtain of how that whole production works (laughs) i and 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 I don't even want to say this is selfish because I'm not saying, oh, I need to host it or anything, but I personally think they should be doing more. Like, think when I did the Gamescom one more so than when I did the extended one. I think they need to do more of those. Like, I would love to see them do something once a quarter, even if it's almost kind of a a check-in on games that have already previously been announced to kind of let people know 
kind of where they are expectations. Obviously, you can make some mini announcements, like they're going to do the ID at Xbox thing here next week. But to kind of just keep people in the loop and to kind of put some faces to be a part of that announcement where there are some quote unquote dedicated hosts that are coming out on, on a, on a yeah. stage to be able to talk about that when the opportunity does present itself, actually sit down with a few of the developers and get some updates on the games that they're working on. You still have your quote unquote big E3 one where Phil comes out and then Sarah bond and everyone else. And they have all these huge, huge announcements, but then have these smaller ones. Maybe it's 30 minutes, maybe it's 45 minutes, have a host or two on there. Like I said, sit down with a dev, talk about it, maybe debut some smaller titles that are being worked on. Like, I, I don't know, I'm just pulling the studio out of, out, of, out of the air, but like, say Compulsion Games is working on like a AAA game or not a AAA, a AA game. Have them come out, talk about that so it doesn't get lost in the sea of the big E3 showcase game, right? Kind of give it some room to breathe so people are aware of it and they can anticipate it. You know, maybe have a show that's dedicated to some of the services where you're talking about Game Pass, you're talking about cloud streaming, you're talking, <laughs> excuse me, you're talking about some of the dashboard updates that are coming. And I know they did that a little bit previously with the Inside Xbox uh, if stuff. That feels like Inside Xbox to me, Paris. Right, right. But yeah, it yeah, feels yeah. like it. But I, I think I guess the point I'm trying to make is they need to bring that that cadence back, mm -hmm, I think, mm -hmm. and not just save it all for E3 or save it all for Gamescom. I think you could have four to five events throughout the year, maybe quarter one, quarter two, like some smaller updates, obviously have the big E3 one, do a Gamescom one in the year with FanFest. There you go. Yeah, yeah, That's what yeah. I would do. You know, Paris, you saying that it, it makes me think like man maybe we should just revamp inside xbox and bring yeah. that back right it seems like that is the perfect product of what you were nailing right there right and i'm going to ask you some further questions to go in there but i want to give gary a shout out right there the inside or the weekly xbox update that major nelson and the team do on youtube that's a great call out gary that's one thing i hope that more people can utilize and maybe check out from your recommendation because it is a really good short easy five to ten minute video of here's what's coming this week on xbox you pair that with what Paris is saying with maybe a revamped inside Xbox once a quarter, right? You have a good little momentum going with communications. Paris, I want to kick it to you again of like, maybe we're talking about this inside Xbox. And we're going a little bit deeper here. We've talked about, you know, the pressures of studios trying to make a small build version to show. <laughs> we talk about building out a trailer to show at these different events and the kind of pressure it puts on teams. When we talk about maybe a revamped inside Xbox, do you envision that being a, microsoft xbox team that comes to different studios to showcase that is that a hey this studio creates all this and they host that what what do you envision there from this team doing that see i would i would assume there's there's a, a quote-unquote dedicated from xbox that mm -hmm. goes to the studio or they come to them or whatever so you're not putting that burden on the studio for all their production values and everything it should be a microsoft produced thing where they're getting the information from the studios that are working on it. Like, 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 it's funny. Like, like I, I think about major Nelson's you know, podcast, right. And he actually does a lot of this already in that sense where he will talk to developers and he interviews them and all that. But I feel it's on a smaller scale that it's not necessarily getting the, the attention of the entire community that it probably deserves. And that's what mm -hmm. I'm kind of saying where if you have something where it's being broadcasted out by the official Xbox account, you're having it on xbox.com, everyone is talking about, hey, we got this big thing that we need you all to pay attention to, you know, once a quarter, 
you're going to get more traction on that and you're going to you're going to have people pay attention to a lot of this because think about it xbox is 30 something studios at this point right give or take so you're going to have games if you try to cram all those announcements into to the quote-unquote xbox showcase in june games are going to get lost in the shuffle like it's funny i talk a lot about um replaced which is now probably going to get delayed due to ukraine stuff but that's a game that stood out to me from the mm-hmm. Xbox showcase mm-hmm. that nobody talks about. Nobody remembered a, how cool that looked. Pairs yeah, is right. Like, like you, you're super excited about Shredders, which is literally coming out next week. The conversation on social media is so minimal on that. Imagine if Shredders, imagine if that studio and those developers got spotlighted by Xbox. You have a host sit down with the developer. They're talking about Shredders. Or you, it literally, Mike, it's you. You're talking yeah. about Shredders. You're super <laughs> excited. You're hyping it up. And now you got the whole Xbox community paying attention to that game. Comes out on Game Pass now. Guarantee you have probably double the people pick that up day one to want to engage with it because they're aware of it and they understand. You know, it's I just think they could do more to communicate. Look, everyone's going to know about Halo, Gears, Perfect Dark, all the big games. Talking about some of the smaller games that people don't necessarily pay attention to. Talk about those throughout the year. I, I really think it would do those games justice if more if they had more awareness throughout the year versus getting, you know, five five seconds in, in a vertical slice during a showcase, you know, you know, sizzle reel or something, right? Where they just show it really quick and that's really all you get. You don't get the full engagement of it. You don't understand the studio and how long they've been working on it and what the gameplay like like there's so many things you could do if you had more shows throughout the year to dedicate time to those games. Guys, you got me excited thinking about this. I'm pretty sure everybody watching, listening, probably excited as well because I think it is needed. And I think it would be a fun way to connect with your audience and really showcase all the hardworking men and women and teams around the globe doing cool stuff for your brand and uh, the product. But something to get excited about. Oh, yeah, tell me, Pabst. I'll give you one more example. Yeah, yeah, please. You know, obviously, I look, I feel like I was a hype man for Death's Door last year, right? He was. We obviously had uh, Acid Nerve here on the show, talked about it. Other than Day of the Devs, they came on with us. I can't tell you another time that I saw those devs sitting down with someone talking about, I think Khalif did on Spawn on Me, but that's about it. And that, in my opinion, was one of the best games of 2021. I'm telling you, it would have been, and it doesn't have the Xbox, I'm just saying in general, though, it would have been amazing if a game like that got more spotlight. And that's what I'm kind of talking about, that level of game where it's not necessarily a big AAA game. It's a AA game, but I thought it was special enough that it deserved a spotlight and more people to be aware of it. I think now you're starting to hear more people talk about it, but that's really because of word of mouth, where I think Devolver Digital, Xbox, whoever, if they would have given it more shine throughout 2021, I think when it came out, you probably would have seen way more engagement with it. I like that, Paris. And, you know, going off of that, of course, to be excited, you mentioned it earlier. Next week, we have our second ID at Xbox showcase returning to Twitch right now. Remember last year we did that? Friend of the show, Blind Gamer Steve, got to host that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this will be a ton of fun. We're back again to showcase indies over on Xbox. That's going to be on Twitch. So you guys can tune into that Wednesday, March 16th at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for all of you out there. So make sure to check that out. ID at Xbox returning for year number two of a cool showcase right there. But let's take a word from our sponsors and we'll return right back to the show after this. 
out to Babbel for sponsoring this episode. There's nothing worse than traveling abroad and looking like an idiot because you didn't bother to learn the slightest bit of the country's language. That's why Greg Miller has been using a little Babbel to learn French to speak to Genevieve. Uh, Babbel is the addictively fun, fast, and easy language learning app that has sold more than 10 million subscriptions. Uh, Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective, and you can choose from 14 different languages like Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent, which has been helping Greg Miller be able to communicate with Jen's extended family. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to babbel.com and use promo code KINDAFUNNY. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com code kind of funny babble language for life and shout out to chime kick off 2022 with a better checking account with no monthly fees no overdraft fees no foreign transaction fees and no service fees get all that and then some with chime an award-winning app and debit card they've also got over 60,000 fee free in network atms all over the place like at most walgreens 7-elevens or cbs's you can access your money when you need it where you need it make your first good decision of the new year and join over 10 million people using chime sign up takes only two minutes and doesn't affect your credit score. Get started at chime.com slash KF games. That's chime.com slash KF games. Banking services provided by a debit card issued by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Get fee-free transactions at any MoneyPass ATM in a 7-Eleven location and at any AllPoint or Visa Plus Alliance ATM. Otherwise, out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Sometimes pay anyone instant transfers can be delayed. The recipient must use a valid debit card or be a Chime member to claim funds. Chime.com slash KF Games. Shout out to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. If you've ever been on the bus or the train with someone who's taking a phone call on speaker, you know that everyone who can hear them now knows a bunch of their private business. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is basically the same thing, so don't be that person. Did you know your ISP knows every single website you visit, and then they can sell that information to ad companies and tech giants who can use that data to target you? Well, ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so people can't peep in on your online activity. The best part of it is how easy it is to use. You just fire up the ExpressVPN app and click a button on any device. I've been using this forever. Kind of funny has been staying safe on the internet with ExpressVPN and they're right. It could not be easier to use. Uh, secure your online activity today at expressvpn.com slash kind of funny and get an extra three months of ExpressVPN free. That's expressvpn.com slash kind of funny. ExpressVPN dot com slash kind of funny shout out to upstart if you've got multiple credit card balances each month and are getting by just paying the minimums barely making a dent into your credit card debt it can be pretty dang discouraging upstart can help you pay off your existing debt quickly so you can feel like you're finally getting ahead whether you're paying off credit cards consolidating high interest debt or funding personal expenses over half a million people have used upstart to get one fixed monthly payment upstart knows that you are more than just your credit score and is expanding 
access to affordable credit. Unlike other lenders, Upstart considers your income and current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. With a five-minute rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 and $50,000 and receive your funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash kindoffunny. That's upstart.com slash kindoffunny. Don't forget to use the URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash kindoffunny. Guys, welcome back. We're having fun. We got the energy going right now, which I really, really appreciate. I want to take a pause before we get to where I might want to go. But like, let's talk about this because you two were on um, social media today, yesterday, talking about toxicity in gaming and just bringing some positivity to the world. And this was one that we couldn't talk about last week due to the info coming from Halo. But let's talk about Phil Spencer's message for gamers out there after he received the Lifetime Achievement Award. So this is coming from IGN.com by Kat Bailey, who got to do the interview after the award ceremony. So it goes like this. Speaking with IGN after his DICE Lifetime Achievement Award acceptance speech, Spencer directly addressed the gaming community, urging them to respect creators above all else. The quote reads like this. Keep playing. Keep using your voice. Understand the power of creativity, the power of community. And the other thing I would just say is, let's respect creators. I think it's very often that creations can be kind of weaponized and used in battles between platforms and other things. I look at everybody who is brave enough to create something, put it out there, have their peers, the industry players play and analyze and talk about what they do. And let's just celebrate the fact that so many great games are coming out from so many creators and realize that's such a foundation for where this industry is going to go. End quote. Guys, it's been a wild one on social media. It's actually really interesting being a part of this industry, joining Kind of Funny a couple of years ago compared to my normal nine to five up on the mountain where it was, hey, we're just having fun talking about games. Everybody's excited. You start to lean into social media and see what this looks like. There's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of bashing. There's a lot of arguments, a lot of discourse, as my good friend Barrett would tell me every single day happening online. Guys, is this message resonating with you and how can it resonate with gamers all around the globe when we talk about positivity and you know respecting the creators that create all of these games we get to play i'll kick it to you first paris oh so you want me to go first so yeah obviously you know i'm, I'm on social media i i see the stuff all the time and you know i try i try to throw my comments in there and phil spencer was spot on with, with everything that he's saying it's you know, and just just being frank and just being honest on here for anyone that that that's listening, I I, I temper what I say a lot because I, I just see so much, so many just toxic comments and just this whole console war thing, and it's it like it doesn't make sense to me. Like I say all the time, yeah, this is an Xbox show, but guess what? I play PlayStation games. I play Nintendo games. I play on PC. I play games because I love to play games. I really could care less what the platform is i just want great games so you will see me praise playstation games you will see me knock things on xbox like obviously you know i, I was pretty harsh about halo infinite last week because i want halo infinite to be great and i've been saying that forever right so it it's okay to be critical about things be respectful at the same time 
you know, and, and I think that's what gets lost online is people, people don't talk online the way they would talk to someone in person because you're anonymous and you have that safety net of being behind your keyboard, right? Mm-hmm. So you will just see some of the most outlandish, ridiculous comments ever. And, you know, I, I try to, you know, I might be a little sarcastic every now and again, right? But I try to be logical about things. Like we're talking about this Xbox Series S thing. Like people are trying to turn that into this whole weird argument. And I'm like, why? I go, excuse me. If you want a premium experience, you have to pay a premium price. The Xbox Series S is not meant for you. It's meant for, let me keep it real. I'm a parent with three kids. I'm a cheapskate. It's meant for someone looking for a value. That's the whole point of the S at its price point. And you make sacrifices at that price point. But guess what? My kids play on the S all the time. Haven't heard them complain once. They don't care. They really don't care. They care about playing the game. They care about the experiences that you get. It's why, you know, we quote unquote talk about Game Pass. I see people get upset that talk about game. Why why are you always talking about Game Pass? Because it's a good freaking deal. That's why. And again, I'm a cheapskate. It's a great value. You see all these games that you get, you know, for, for for the monthly subscription. Why wouldn't I talk about it? Because as a parent, you're looking for the best deal all the time. You don't even have to be a parent. Just being a person that doesn't want to just frivolously throw your money away, you're going to look for a value. So that's why we talk about these things. That's why we talk about, you know, some of the great services that Xbox is providing, cloud gaming, how that's kind of transforming the way that we're, you know, in, you know, engaging with our games, things like that, because it's cool, not because, you know, some some silly console war thing. So it's like you lose so much arguing about nonsense and that's what i see online a lot we argue about nonsense so much and that's phil spencer's message it's like enjoy this hobby man enjoy it. it's freaking great that's why we're all here because we all at some point picked up a controller start playing a game and fell in love with the hobby but instead you see so many people that just want to argue about it when it makes no sense to me because there's nothing to argue about it's your money it's your time <laughs> It's your choice. Do it however you want. I will never, ever worry about what game Gary or Mike is playing. Want to know why? Because it doesn't affect me. Unless we're supposed to play together and be like, damn, why don't you play this game? Because we're supposed to play together. (laughs) But other than that, why would I care what games that Gary enjoys? Shouldn't matter to me. I'm going to play the games that I enjoy. He's going to play the games that he enjoys on the platform that you want to play them on. And that's Phil Spencer's message. I know everyone sees him as the head of... Xbox. So everything has to be slanted towards Xbox. If you listen to what he's saying, he's saying, go enjoy games, period, point blank. I don't care where you play them. I just want you to go enjoy them. And let's start out, stop all this nonsense that we see online. Gary Witta, I know you're going to echo a lot of what Paris just said, but you also bring in a different perspective because you are a creator, Gary. You've put creations out into the world and you're also a man that, you know, I trust and I love being around and you always speak Honestly, you speak bluntly, you speak with candor, and you aren't afraid to shut down that toxicity around you and check people. What is that like from both sides? Of course, you know, similar to what Paris just said for yourself, but also like, what is it like as a creator to see all that online about maybe your creation and how they weaponize that back and forth amongst each other? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, you you rightly observe that I've got, you know, I I come at this 
from a from a particular perspective in that yeah i i do create things i create books and comics and movies and television shows and i help out on video games and podcasts and all kinds of stuff like that it's very public facing what i do and uh you know uh I, people like me whether whether we're filmmakers or or novelists or screenwriters or or video game designers whatever you know we labor you know in darkness and obscurity for a really long time and we put blood sweat and tears uh, into the things that we create and then they go out into the world um, and it can be soul crushing to see them just like casually dismissed as they're chewed up by this kind of content machine. So, ah, that's crap. What else you got? And it's, it, can, it can be really disheartening. We see it. We see it all the time. So you'll notice that as much as I can be very uh, opinionated on my Twitter feed, go go find go try and find a tweet where I slag off a movie or slag off a TV mm. show. You'll never find one because I don't do it. If I if I have some if there's something that I like and want to celebrate and point people towards, I'll do that. But if I really didn't like something, I'll keep it to myself. Um, because there's enough of that out there already. They don't, they don't need, it doesn't need, you know, my, um, me sticking my oar in on top of everything else. And again, I'm very aware that I live in glass houses. I've made stuff that has been very poorly received. Uh, so for me to, for me to go and say, oh, well, this sucks or whatever, like who's to say I could uh, do any better. And so I, I, I generally tend to try and keep that stuff to myself on the broader issue. I think what Phil is talking about, like, we all want to get there, right? We all want to kind of link arms and, by the world of Coke and, and sing Kumbaya. And I'm not trying to in any way, you know, kind of uh, sound patronizing in that regard. Like, yeah, I, I genuinely want to get to that world where we, we focus on the positivity and kind of put our differences aside and realize that, you know, we agree on many more things than we, we disagree on. I just don't know how, to what extent you could ever really truly unpick that from human nature, right? We're tribal mm -hmm. beings by, you know, and, you know, all the way down to like our core lizard brain DNA. Um, there's protection in tribes, right? We want to believe that we're part. It's a reason why, you know, kids fall into gangs and why we support, you know, sports teams because that tribalism is something that is just baked into our nature. We want to feel like we're a part of something. And, you know, and that's true when you buy a console. You buy a console, you've made a choice, and now you want to feel good about that choice. And so you will reinforce that choice by going onto into message boards and say, well, the console I bought is better than the one you bought. I, I made a smarter decision than you and on and on it goes. And it's profoundly unproductive and it doesn't make anybody happy and it's very silly, but it is part of how, it's just part of our inherent human nature. And I like the, at least we're aware of it, right? The first, the first step in terms of, um, you know, getting better is, is recognizing that there's a problem. And we, I think many of us do recognize that there's a problem. We don't, you know, want to support negativity online. We want to accentuate the positive. And I do think generally that the kind of that historical arc is bending towards things getting better. I just don't think it'll ever get all the way better. That tribalism and, and, and that kind of stuff will always be a part um, of, of who we are. Sometimes I think the, you know, the, the, the discourse, you know, trademark can be very, uh, useful and interesting. I think right now there's a very interesting conversation going on about Elden Ring and what's the, because that, that has, that, that's a game that has a fundamentally different approach to, you know, how you make an open world game. And I've seen some really, really interesting conversations online about, um, you know, what, what kind of open world games uh, people prefer. I don't know if you saw the screenshot that somebody mocked up that was like Elden Ring if it was made by Ubisoft. Yeah, and the screen that. was just plastered yeah. with all this hand-holding stuff of like maps and waypoints and quest logs and it actually looked shitty and it made me think oh yeah, like maybe that actually is a really shitty way to do an open world game. An Elden Ring's approach where they just kind of drop you into the world and say figure it out. Like get the notebook out. Like we're not going to help you. You're going to have to find your way 
do this world. We're not going to hold your hand. That's not that's not everyone's cup of tea. But I'm so glad that Elden Ring is out there trying to do it in a different way from what has become the very very formulaic. You know, all of these games, whether it be Horizon or the Ubisoft games that we see, they all have the map, the quest log, the check boxes, the waypoints, the compass headings, and, and some many of these games and these open world games have become so over decorated that I think what Elden Ring has done is really kind of stirred the pot in terms in terms of inspiring a conversation about how that can be done differently. Where I where where I think it starts to go off the rails is you know the accessibility and difficulty conversation uh, surrounding Elden Ring. Um, and Paris and I talked about this on social media earlier today. The Series S thing. It's like I think this 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 is a this is a human being problem as well. It's not just a gaming problem, but we see it in the gaming community a lot. Gamers, I think, often have a really hard time empathizing with or understanding or relating to why something might be good for someone else. It's like, well, if it's not good for me, what use is it? And it's a very, very selfish and narcissistic attitude. Yeah, the the, the, the Xbox Series S may not be for you. Elden Ring may not be for you. But there is clearly, there are clearly other people out there that it is really their cup of tea. And so just let them get on with it. What, they're not bothering you. On a wider on a wider thing, I get really annoyed. Everyone gets into a whole conversation about, oh, is it right? Should you put pineapple on pizza? You know what you should do? Whatever you fucking want to do. If you like pineapple on pizza, have it. If you don't, don't 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 yuck someone else's numbs. Just let them let them eat pizza the way they want to do it. And mind your own fucking business. Why does there have to be a right or wrong way to do everything? We're all different. Just live and let live, and 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 let people get on with doing things the way that they want to do them. The Elden Ring thing really annoys me, to be honest with you, and it's why I've stayed out of it. Um, I think Elden Ring is a fascinating game to talk about, but the but the people that are really into Elden Ring, those kind of from software people, you can't. There's no talking to them. Like they 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 they, they get so annoyed if you suggest that it might be okay if there was a, if there was an easier. I'm not saying that make the game easier because I understand why that would that would uh, spoil the experience for people that love the fact that the game is as hard as it is and that should be preserved. But if there was an alter, if there was an alternate difficulty level, it's not going to affect their version. They're going to select the, the normal mode and they're going to have the great experience they've always had. But if there's an easier mode for someone like me that lets me experience some of the beauty and it's just a beautiful, beautiful game and it actually kind of bums me out that I'll never really appreciate how beautiful that game is because the game is just not a game that is inviting or accessible or fun for me to play. Why not have that? Why not allow that? It's not, it's not, again, it's not affecting you or bothering the way that you play the game. So why do you have to, why are you so protective or why are you so weird about me also being able to enjoy this game on slightly different terms than the way you enjoy it? It's very, very strange. I'll, I'll never fully understand it. Again, it's, 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 it's baked deep into our kind of lizard brain human nature to, uh, to feel very protective and defensive about the things that we like. And again, we, we see it playing it every day on social media. You know, it, it's funny, like you bring up the difficulty thing, and, and I truly do see both sides of the argument with it. But to me, I think there's such an easy solution to what you're saying, Gary. Have an achievement or a trophy tied to the higher difficulty. Mm. So if you need that badge of honor, if you need to show people, random people on the internet that don't know you that you did something great, show them that trophy show them that achievement that you played it on the highest difficulty to me problem solved because like you said it comes back to a choice there's nothing wrong with having a choice no one is forcing you to go play it on the easier difficulty but there are people that cannot experience the game on the higher difficulty so that easier difficulty at least lets them in the door to at least mm. understand what why it is that you love this game in this world so much at the same time. So, like I said, I, I do see both sides of it, but to me, 
it's a no harm, no foul thing. If uh, you have another difficulty, it's mode. interesting you bring that up because like uh, people who are you know more on the PlayStation side, like trophy hunters and you know the achievement hunters out there and stuff like that, like those people don't usually don't want difficulty uh, uh, achievements or trophies and stuff like that um, because you know it might require like several different playthroughs or, or things like right. that um, and, and stuff like that. So um, that. For that specific angle, I could see that, but I could also see it like frustrating a, a lot of people for an entirely different reason. Hey, suck it, Greg Miller. Go get your platinum trophy and have to play it again. That's what I say. <laughs> but I don't want to <laughs> play New Game Plus on yeah. an Elden Ring to get the platinum. Paris? You know what? I appreciate you both standing up and bringing some positivity and giving me a great Gary rant. I think everybody sometimes need a quick Gary. I'm going to check you right now. And I appreciate I'm not even, I'm not even that like bent out of shape. I, know. Over it. I just. I, but there's, where I do get a little bit bent out of shape is I think that, again, to go back to Elden Ring, and this is, again, I think a symptom of a broad problem is that gatekeeping is part of this issue. Mm. Um, and the, 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 the same bullshit that, lead, that leads, you know, eight-year-old boys to say, oh, there's no girls allowed in this treehouse. Like, that, that, maybe when you're eight-year-old, that's okay. But when you're a fucking grown-ass man, like, you should, not be, you should not be saying, like, to, you know, to, 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 to a woman gamer, oh, you're, you're, you're an Elden Ring fan, name 50 bosses that you've beat or whatever. Fuck off. Like, now, now you've got me started, uh, Mike. I it's, know I got you started. I'm trying to slow you there, down there, now. There, there, right. I think, again, specifically with Elden Ring, because it is, it is, those From Software games are so very specifically difficult and, uh, and inaccessible to many, many gamers. That, that is a badge of honor for, for gamers who do enjoy those games and can access them and and can engage with them and can beat them that there's a sense that if you in any way broaden that tent even a, even a, a, an early again no, no one's thought about the comp compromising experience that you're having but adding an, a, an easier difficulty level which is a separate you know experience of the game for other people that it's, it's simply by letting those people in to engage with the game at, 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 at an easier difficulty level i think there's a lot of people that kind of feel like in some way their specialness or or or, or their experience has been diluted and it's a it's bullshit but it's how some people think about these experiences. Yeah. Uh, you know, Gary, it's very good to have you speak about all this and bring that kind of, you know, thought to the light for myself and for everybody out there. I think it's a conversation that we need to have. And it is awesome to see people like Phil Spencer giving these kind of quotes and like getting that out to the broader audience of like, Hey, I'm up here and I'm thinking this way. I would hope that you would at least consider it and think about it as well. That's a big deal right there. So Shout out to Phil for that one. I do want to piggyback off the Elden Ring, but I'm going to try to segue it into a different vibe right now because I want to talk about Elden Ring and open world and how they did that with their design because IGN put out a 10 best open world games. And I want to kind of go down this list with you because there's one question I have of like, where's the Xbox games on this? But also we can then parlay it into, so what does Starfield need to do to be the next best open world game and so let's see if we can take some of the mechanics some of the things that we love from these different open world games on their top 10 and see how maybe todd howard and the team might put it into their upcoming game starfield so let's go down the list really quick guys and of course we can stop on each one and talk about the certain things you like number one you have marvel's spider-man miles morales or number 10 i should say i'm going from top to bottom guys marvel's miles morales do you like that open world being on the top 10 what were some of your favorite parts about that if you played it? Oh, I played it. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I, I think I don't, I didn't see the top 10 list, so I don't know if Spider-Man is higher up the list, but just kind of combining those two open worlds mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. together. Absolutely loved it. Like you just had that freedom 
of being Spider-Man and just swinging through the city. And obviously you go to different points of interest and crimes and things that, you know, of that nature that you would do. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was fantastic. I mean, hell, I would, I would like it to be even bigger than it already was. You know what I mean? So I think Insomniac did a, an amazing job. And for the record, uh, the original Marvel Spider-Man is not on, uh, the, not on the, the list, top 10. Mm. but I would make the argument as Miles Morales of like the way that they, kind of improve navigating like smaller things uh that you do in that open world of like using the the app to find crimes and stuff yeah. like that like i think they learned a lot in uh publishing marvel spider-man and like you could already see the wheels turning in them as developers of like how do we make this even more engaging uh make this maybe a little easier in like trying to you know 100 percent it and things like that so yeah, yeah. a big one for me when i think of Miles Morales in particular is the setting and the time, right? We went back to Christmas in winter in New York, which I really, really love. I think the setting goes so far to see the white snow on the ground, to see the Christmas lights, to be running around kind of a dirty and like wet city. I think another one for me, of course, is the playground, Paris. You talked about it, right? That playground of being Miles and how you can swing around the traversal. The moment-to-moment -moment gameplay is really special with what Insomniac did. And of course, it never hurts to pair it up with a super hot uh, superhero that everybody loves, right? I mean, that's just a win-win for everyone. Number nine, game that just came out, Horizon Forbidden West. Now, I didn't really play this that much. Gary, did you jump into Horizon Forbidden West at all? It's 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 my wife's game to play. She okay. she plays it. I watch her play it. But um, uh, both in, in, in that case, and I just want to go back to Spider-Man real quick. I, yeah, I, yeah. I would have I cheated it, actually, and just put Spider-Man stroke Miles Morales and kind of squeeze them both in yeah. together because they're, they're, bo they're, they're, they're both, you yeah, know, yeah. almost identical expressions of the, of, of the same approach to open world, and they both do it very, very well. Um, and this is an opportunity for me to talk about what I think is just like my a, a good general yardstick of what can makes a good open world game is yeah, yeah. How, how much time can you spend in that world without even engaging in the core gameplay, just being in the world? And that is that is something that, and I've got my own thoughts about that. And there's one game in particular that I imagine is way higher up on the list. We'll talk about it when we get to it. I think it's the game that does it better than any other. But Spider-Man and Miles Morales both do it very, very, very well. Um, there's a fast travel system in that game. I don't, I, I hardly ever used it because it's more fun just to swing around the exactly. city. How many yeah. games can you can you think of where it's like, no, I actually rather would just like take the long way around because it's just fun to do. Most games, you're so happy to have fast travel, right? Because the actual um traversal and, and getting from one place to another is a chore in spider-man it's not a chore it's it's a delight you're doing all these amazing gymnastic combos and flips off off the city no one no one's ever done the spider-man swinging mechanic better than in than insomniac the city looks amazing and like, i remember when because uh, leah and i both uh, platinumed it and i would watch leah play and it's like she would have she okay i'm gonna do a, i've done enough side quests now i'm gonna go do a story mission the story mission's on the other side of the city but it would took her all day to get there because every 30 seconds there's like another crime or a random event yeah popping. yeah, yeah. Like, oh, no, I, I gotta go do it like, i can't just go i can't just go by spider-man's gotta respond to the crimes and like you'd, you you would say like oh i'm gonna go do the the, the next you know main story mission but like you still spend the next three hours fucking around because the game's constantly saying what about this what about this what about this and you just keep stopping off and doing things they do it brilliantly and um We've we've had less exposure to Horizon so far because Leah's only uh, we've had it obviously for, for less time and we've had limited time to play it. But one of the things that I've seen her from her playing and one of the things I've certainly 
seen from other players who have got many, many more hours in, is have said a similar thing. Like uh, somebody I, I think mentioned the other day, I've got like 25 hours in Horizon and I've been engaged the whole time and I've barely touched the main story because, you know, there's always just exploring the world and discovering areas and finding little things to do, whether it be a, a major side quest or just, you know, grabbing, you know, collectibles or whatever it may be, just living in the world and being in the world. I say this about Mass Effect all the time, which isn't necessarily an open world game. But for me, that's when I, when, what I love about Mass Effect is not, not so much specific memories of playing the game, but memories of like being in that place. Like I, my happy memories of Mass Effect are akin to the memories I have about like, a great vacation to Hawaii that I took, you know, so I, I went to that place and it was an amazing place to spend time. And when I, when I think about the best open world games, those are the kind of feelings that, that, that those, those, those best games evoke for me. Paris, I know you played this, right? And when I think of horizon, of course, I think robot dinosaurs, yeah. uh, I think of a massive map, right? I think of diverse terrain is what I've seen. And then I also go to, the climbing of the long necks, right? We go back to kind of the tower and fog of war mechanic of climb this, see more of this. Is that played out in your mind? Is that still fun and relevant for today's games? Where do you fall on the fog of war? Go do this and reveal more that you can do. Well, well, it's interesting, like with for Forbidden West, because you know I, I was on the review for kind of funny, uh, gave it a five out of five. Uh, it's definitely one of the better open worlds that I've I've personally played. I, I won't say it's the best ever, but it was fun to be in that world. And to Gary's point, it was one of those games where I didn't want to fast travel. There were some times where I may have because because of time constraints, but if I just had time to kill, I would rather just tr you know naturally travel to, to the next destination because I don't know what's around the corner, right? I don't know what I'm going to find. I don't know what I'm, what fight I'm going to get into, et cetera, things like that. So in that way, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I adore that open world. And to me, that's just the overall key to open world games is yeah. that sense of discovery and exploration that you'll have in that world. If you can give me that, I, I'll be there all day. I mean, hell, Horizon Now, I think... I should go look, but God, I, I've, I've got to be at least 60 hours in, into it at, at this point because I just naturally enjoy playing that game in that yeah. world. Yeah. Uh, going down the list now, we look at uh, number eight, Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain. This is a game that I've been playing, uh, really enjoying. And I think the cool part for me is it is a different, quote unquote, open world game than the ones that we previously listed, the ones on the list, right? Because the open world structure is different and the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay is different than just running around this world and finding new areas. I think what it brings to the table is this just incredible sense of you can do it your way, right? right. In a really special way of go approach this base this way, <coughs> this way the next time. The mechanics of the open world of Fultoning, uh, enemy, uh, enemy uh, soldiers and or the wildlife out of it and them coming back to Mother Base was really, really cool. And I think... That goes to the things you guys are talking about, like activities, things to do in this world. And that was a really special gameplay mechanic that I really, really enjoyed for Metal Gear Solid 5. Keeping it going, guys. Number seven, a game that I know we all love and has been released multiple times. The Elder Scrolls V, the Skyrim. Skyrim, I mean, Todd Howard and the team, we're going to talk about, you know, what we're going to see in Starfield. Probably a good foundation of what we can expect here. What did you guys think of Skyrim? Is Skyrim the antithesis? of open world games it's, it's number seven here is that enough love what's the deal here what do you guys think it, it's interesting because for me i felt like when when obviously when that came out i felt like it kind of set the bar 
for those mm. open world RPG type of games. But I also feel that that has now been surpassed in a oh, way. Yeah, so, yeah. so you know, I know we'll talk about Starfield in a little bit. So we'll, we'll get into that. But um, yeah, I mean, quite enjoyable. Just just the the fantasy aspect to it. Everything again. I wanted to be in that world. I wanted to go fight dragons and join guilds and go do all the, all the stuff that Skyrim uh, uh, gives to you. So it's like, I didn't feel like, all right, let me hurry up and get to the end of this game. It's like, I would have been perfectly fine spending hundreds of hours in, in that world of Skyrim. And to me, again, just, just sign of, of a great open world game. Yeah. Skyrim's one of those special ones. I'll never forget. And I really like, like we talk about being living in that. And I love the sense of discoverability of going to a town and all of a sudden being immersed in that storyline, right? Like yeah. somebody murdered my brother. We got to solve it. And it's like, well, I'm supposed to be over there to stop this revolution. Like I'm going to stay here for a couple hours. And I yeah. love what Todd and the team does. Right. And we've talked about it before. They've showcased all of those pieces within the game being, you know, touchable, playable, movable. And that kind of sense is unmatched really. And as you said it so well, right, this is a game that set the bar 10 years ago. Now him and his team are about to come out a decade later. What are they going to bring to the table? How do they elevate that off of the things they learned? Uh, of course, another one that's from Bethesda, but also Obsidian, Fallout New Vegas, which yeah. I really, really love. Had I think been, the setting was very yeah. good, right? Uh, the glitz and the glamour of Vegas, the high Sierra deserts and all the looks to it. I think that was a really special one on that. I'm uh, just going to continue because I don't have much time with you guys. Elden Ring at number five. I'll give a shout out to Elden Ring. I think the sense of discoverability you guys have brought out is really, really special in Elden Ring of seeing something in the distance, knowing you're going to be able to get to that. Yeah. But also while you run through the world, it's like all of a sudden, oh, here's the catacombs. Here's a boss that I'm going to fight. Oh, here's just some guys on the side of the street. They either want to talk to me or fight me. And theirs is a very different open world, right? There isn't just static quests around the world. Like you kind of have to discover that and they're really minimal and they're kind of hard to decipher. It isn't like, playing in Assassin's Creed or, El or uh, Skyrim where it's like, hey, it's now on your quest log. Oh, go talk to Julie, right? It's like, no, you got to figure it out and piece it together. And I think the discoverability goes so far now in a social age where now you go to YouTube, you go to Twitter, you're like, oh, did you find that out, Paris? Like, how did you do that? Okay, I got to do that. Like, they did a really good job with that. And, Brad, I know you've been playing. And yeah, what do you, you agree with that I, stuff I, right I there? I think it's the, you know, the natural discoverability, which we've talked about in other games like... Um, uh, Breath of the Wild and, and, and open worlds of its nature, but it's also in the impressive way that it doesn't feel designed. Uh, it feels like a true world while also being some of the most clever, like world design, open world design, I think we've seen in video games. Um, it, and it feels kind of just like a natural world. You know, there's lore <laughs> around like why, you know, certain, you know, enemies are in a, in a certain area. And there's like background to that where it's not like, oh, here's enemy camp here because, you know, this is the enemy of the game and here's their camp. Why is it here? Who cares? It's this is the enemy camp. Um, there's so much behind it that just, yeah, it just feels very uh, natural. And in that uh, becomes very immersive in this world, uh, the lands between. Um, which uh, honestly is probably one of the most impressive things we've seen since Breath of the Wild. Going down the list, four and three, both Rockstar games, Red Dead Redemption 2 and Grand Theft Auto 5, killer open world games. Gary, anything stand out from those two titles? I mean, you were role-playing in the video game. Talk about livability. You were yeah. role-playing in this world for quite some time. 
Grand, I mean, so GTA Five was actually the game that I was referencing earlier that I that I, that I thought would be high up the list, and actually, in fact, mm-hmm. higher up the list than 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 it is. For me, it would be number one or two. Wow. In terms okay, of my okay. own, again, I can only speak to my own personal experience, but I've, I have spoken about this many, many times. The the, the role playing stuff aside, which is a whole other level in terms of you know immersion and open world uh, experience. Just you know, just just the the GTA Five story and i'm so excited about this you know this this next gen version that's about to drop because i'm going to go back and do it all over again never mind online just the story mode i when i talked about earlier about like how long can you spend in a game without really engaging in the you know even just side quests just just pottering around just like doing stuff i remember spending like a couple of hours in gta 5 just doing yoga like just stupid shit that you could do like play tennis play golf just drive around and just feel like you're in this this living world i remember standing like on the street corner uh there was obviously los santos but you know how it's 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 very much kind of like one-to-one with la standing like on the corner of uh like sunset boulevard and i can't remember the name of the cross street but it's 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 a place where if you know la you know exactly where that's supposed to be just standing there and watching the traffic go by and watching people walk by me and just feeling like I'm I'm in this world like this is a living place and I and I'm a, and I'm a person in it and just marveling at, at what an incredible sense of 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 place and an immersion that they had they had created like I can I can spend hours just walking around Los Santos and feeling like I'm 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 a, I'm a part of this of this real this real place and uh, there's yeah. very very few games that, that 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 get me to that level. Number two, The Witcher Three: Wild Hunt, which I think does a really good job at activities, things to do. The wow factor of discoverability, and also and then of course, writing. oh yeah, tell the, the, writing. The writing. Yeah, they go say, good call up. I, yeah. I would say, if like it, it, just in the side quests themselves, I think it's probably one of the best written open world games. And then of course, number one, everybody talks about, and I'm currently experiencing for the first time over on Twitch.tv slash Kind of Funny Games. Shameless plug, you can go tune in. Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. This one seems to be on everybody's mind. I've never played it. Pairs, school me. Why is this so highly regarded? What can we learn from it and use into the next big open world game? Well, again, I've not touched Elden Ring yet, so I can't mm-hmm. comment on Elden Ring. But from what I understand, people are so high on Elden Ring's open world structure because that's exactly what you're getting from Breath of the Wild. They mm-hmm. don't necessarily hold your hand and inundate you, if I can say that correctly, with a bunch of stuff on the on the UI, you know, trying to, like I said, hold your hand on where to go next. Again, it's that sense of discovery and you figuring it out as you as you go along with Zelda, which makes that open world so great because you just have that freedom to literally do whatever you want in the yeah. game, right? Like it it is it is technically possible for you to go take out Ganon at the beginning of the game. You won't you won't do it, but you could. You could go directly to him if you wanted to. Anything you see in that game, you can go to. That, that boulder, right Mike, that boulder that you pushed uh, down yeah. the, the the hill at the very beginning of the game, people have brought that boulder to the final Ganon boss to fight Ganon with. Like yeah. the possibi- awesome. Just the possibilities cool. with its physics engine are just mm, incredible yeah, yeah. and insane. So that's why, like, with Breath of the Wild 2 coming, people are losing their minds if, mm. if that really does come this year because – you know, everyone's hyping up Elden Ring right now as the game of the year. But if Breath of the Wild 2 drops, it's going to have some competition for sure. That, by the way, that's I think that's another really good example or another good metric for like for, for how how robust or how strong and o- the open world aspect of a game is. The fact that like Skyrim is a good example of this. Breath of the Wild is another good one. It's like years later, 
you'll still see like you'll be like you'll be like you know flipping through you know polygon or kotaku or whatever there'll be some story about some players done some some crazy shit in breath of the wild that you didn't even know was possible yeah. because people are still like in that world exploring it and pushing at mm -hmm. the edges and exploring what's possible with the physics and stuff like that it's just absolutely amazing just just real quick because i it yep. wasn't on the list and i'm surprised maybe maybe mmos are considered uh, part of a, a part of a separate category, but they're open world games, and I've got to give a shout out for World of Warcraft. I knew you would. I knew you've you got, would. You've, yeah. you've you've got to do it. I mean, I I spent years years of my life I fucking poured down the toilet playing that goddamn game with my guild. I don't regret a minute of it. It's one. It's some of the greatest, most fondest gaming memories of my entire life was spent in Azeroth, just, you know, not just necessarily questing or going on raids, but just being in that world, just sitting at the Lion's Pride Inn in Stormwind, having a beer or like poking yeah. around the forest and discovering things. And again, just feel, or taking like a, you know, a Griffin ride from one end of the map to the other and just feeling like what's over here, let's poke around over here. And just, again, just feeling like it's a world that is, that has endless possibilities to explore. Again, I think that, wow. And there are other, other, I think if, if MMOs are included, there would have been other MMOs on that list as well. They, they obviously consider it a separate list, but you, you, when you're talking about the best open world experiences, you, you've got to be talking about stuff like World of Warcraft. Yeah, and so that is IGN's best 10 open world games. Don't get me out of that, me and the panel here. We're just going off of their list. But we can use that list to have two questions right now. I, want, I got a short question, and then I want to talk about Starfield. So what I noticed on that list was there was really no Xbox games. Sure, you can count it Bethesda now that they bought them, but I didn't see any Xbox games. And so then I racked my brain. I said, man, what are some open world Xbox games? I tried to go down the list, right? I think a lot of people will bring up Sunset Overdrive kind of old now, so I put that on the side. I move forward. Of course, we just got done with Forza Horizon 5 out in Mexico. Thought that was great. Halo Infinite is semi-open world now, so that's an interesting conversation. Sea of Thieves, we've talked to Rare mm -hmm. many of times. Their Sea of Thieves open world is pretty killer. Minecraft, Outer, Wild, or Outer Worlds are all conversation pieces, but what I wanted to bring to you guys right here was we're looking ahead now. This year, Starfield is dated with Todd and the team, what can they learn? We just talked about some big factors that make a good and bad open world. What do you guys think we'll see in this NASA punk themed open world? Is it going to be a true one giant map? Do you imagine no man's skying, like kind of flying from planet to planet landing and getting smaller map chunks like outer worlds? Let's talk about just like the setting itself. Do you anticipate one planet or multiple planets? I think it'll be multiple planets. Um, I actually, talked about this on social media a few weeks ago with about starfield um yeah because i think it was all this all people talking about elden rain the open world and all that but mm -hmm. my point on starfield was i want this epic sci-fi just universe that i'm i'm discovering planets i'm able to just have this freedom to literally go wherever i want and and i think the big thing about it is like we talk about breath of the wild we talk about elden ring i don't want starfield to hold my hand um, and it was interesting because a lot of people in the comments going, well, you, the, the track record would fall out in Skyrim from Bethesda is you should probably expect the same with Starfield. I hope that's not the case. Mm, I hope okay. they go against the grain on that. And not that those are bad experiences because if that turns out to be, and it's a great game, it's a great game. But my point is, I do want to see Todd Howard and those guys take a risk and do something different with, with, with Starfield. I want it to have this epic feel to it right and like i said the sense of discovery and freedom 
to just go do whatever I want and literally traverse the universe of whatever Starfield is going to be, land on these strange planets, go to these these new cities and, and areas that are undiscovered or, or even if they are populated, right? Because I know they've done some concept art on, on a few cities and things that, that we'll be able to go to. But I want it to feel epic in nature. I want it to feel like I get in my ship and I just go wherever I want. I don't know if you saw the end of Star Trek Six, The Undiscovered Country. I want that ending where where they just tell Sulu, all right, just go to the star this way and you just go. Second star to the right and straight on to a morning. Yeah. Wait, it wasn't Sulu because <laughs> Sulu was on the Excelsior. God, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I even know that. But you get my point. Um, I just want that. I want to be able to do whatever I want in the game. So I, I, I really hope that's what we get from Starfield and I hope we get to see it soon. Yeah, I always think about Jack Sparrow at the end of Pirates of the Caribbean saying, bring me that horizon. Oh, right? yeah. It's that same It's that same yeah. vibe. Like, let's let's find out what's over that hill. And games that, that can promise that, I think, are amazing. And, and I think Starfield, you've got to believe that Starfield's going to be epic in scope. Like, the, 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 the people that made the Fallout games and the Elder Scrolls games, they, 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 the, next, the next game in that pantheon, which it clearly is uh, positioned to be, is not going to be small. I think it's going to be epic in, in scope. I'm genuinely excited about it those kind of whether it be like you know star citizen or uh, no man's sky or elite dangerous these games that just you know where you can just get lost inside inside the just the immensity of that universe i think those those are the games that um always kind of have me coming back for more and i really really want to believe that starfield is going to be that and i'll be interested to see if it does anything different there's there's a popular meme kind of a joke going about going around right now in the wake of elden ring that i'm sure you've all seen or heard the kind of the imaginary scene of the of the the lead the lead producer or the project lead on a game coming in on a Monday morning, assembling the team and saying, "So I've been playing Elden Ring," and everyone going, "Oh fucking hell!" Like that. What does this mean? Because it really is one of those games that fundamentally makes you think about, "Well, maybe there is a different way to kind of make these games." I joked about it earlier, but that mock-up screenshot I thought was really that really kind of like popped a light bulb for me in terms of, yeah. "Oh man, yeah, maybe these games do hold your hand too much." And the quest logs and. You know, every 30 seconds, you know, the, the the player character saying, hmm, maybe I should move that rock over there to find out what's underneath it. And these games have become so handholdy. The Elden Ring is like, fuck all that. Like, I'm just going to dump you into the world and you go figure it out. And that's it's it, I, I do think that given that given the Elden Ring has captured the public imagination to the extent that it has, it's going to clean up all the Game of the Year awards at the end of the year. I'm fairly certain. Um, and it's selling so many copies and it's just taken all the oxygen out of the room that there's no way that it doesn't end up having creating a really big ripple effect in the, in the way that future games uh, are designed. Whether, whether it be Starfield, which is obviously very deep into its development cycle or something that people are just kind of sketching out on a napkin today. Elden Ring is you're going to see like echoes of Elden Ring in, in games for years to come. That's my prediction. Yeah, yeah. I I love that sense like you guys were talking about. We talked about like these lived in worlds and I'm so excited to go, let's just say from planet to planet and experience like, you know, this lived in world of different areas, different factions that we're talking about. But I also want to have that feeling, that sense of like isolation and being alone and danger and threat of going to different areas. And maybe it's uncharted. Maybe it's just me alone on that and kind of feeling like, oh man, what's going on? Yeah. And that UI is also, Gary, coming from Elden Ring, I like the non-cluttered UI. I like being alone and having to really think about what I'm doing. And I wonder what that could look like. I guess another one Fair brought up really well is the writing, right? How far does that writing take you? And also, I guess I pose to you two of like, do you want a character that talks? Because right now we're playing Elden Ring, of course, and that's a conversation. There's no talking there, right? That character's not talking. How important is it to have a voice with the character? 
Do you prefer to have your own voice where you're doing it? Like, what, what do you guys fall on that with the character wise? Yeah, I don't need a voice. Um, okay, because, okay. Because it's assuming it is an RPG custom created character and it's me. So mm. I don't need someone speaking for me. That's where I quote unquote live the RPG fantasy and make up in my own mind on on what what my character would be saying as as he's interacting, you know, with these NPCs, you know, throughout the world. So no, I don't need to speak. Like Witcher Three is obviously different because Geralt is an established character from the books and all that. So of course he would talk, but RPG like that, no, I, I don't need that in Starfield. I, I would be surprised if they didn't do it, especially with like how. <clears throat> big of a moment and reveal that was uh, leading up to the release of Fallout 4, right? It was like, your character is going to like be voice acted and all this stuff. I, mm. I, 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 feel, I know it's like a little small thing, but I'd be surprised if they went back on that for their, for their next big game. I'm, I'm with Paris, though. It's like, I could really go either way. I think it really just depends on like what story you're trying to tell and like how much the the main character is important in telling that story. You know, like, Link has famously never talked, right? But they do a lot to make me connect with Link, even though he never talks. Uh, they do a lot, I would say, in Elden Ring to make me care about my character, who literally really has no personality. It's just about the personality you give the character, right? So, mm. um, yeah, it's all about the, the world and how they want to tell their story. I think it really, really depends on the game. You know, it's for example, for something like Spider-Man, it's appropriate, right? Peter Parker talks a lot. That's right. who he is, right? He, he's constantly running his mouth. So when you're playing the Spider-Man games, you know, he's constantly providing a rudd and commentary, even in the middle of a fist fight. Like he's constantly got like, like rattling off one-liners and that's part of the fun. Um, but when you talk about silent characters, the one I always think of, the one that really started it always Half-Life, right? Gordon Freeman never says a word, but it's a, a great character and you're totally immersed in that world. It's no less a game for the fact that he doesn't speak. Now, in fact, if he did, it would now seem weird because so used to him being this kind of this cipher of a character. Um, Elden Ring's a weird one and I hesitate to criticize it at all because I'm telling you, some of these fans, it's like you insulted their mother. You can't say anything <laughs> without them getting really annoyed at you. Um, but especially considering the George R. R. Martin of it all and... I, mm. I just kind of, I didn't, I've only really experienced like the first couple of hours of it, but I, I was kind of surprised at how like how story forward it isn't. Like the opening cinematic felt very generic to me. Uh, the, the, you know, the initial world building, the mythology, like setting the game up and here's where you are. They just like, oh, these runes have been scattered. Like I just, it just felt really, really generic to me. And then just the first couple of, of hours of exploring the world, I just, they just didn't feel like there was any kind of narrative drive. I understand it might be the kind of game where you kind of, you know, unravel and unpick the story as you get further and further into it. But in the first couple of hours, I need a bit more narrative mm. forward momentum to kind of get me going. And I just, that's one of the reasons why I don't think I'm going to persist with it. It's just from a story point of view, there's not much there for me in the early running. Okay. Well, I only have you guys for just a couple of quick seconds here. So my final two questions, yes or no, and I'll go around the room. Paris Lily, then to Gary. Paris, will we see spaceship, starship combat in this game? No. Gary Witta, Star Wars, X-Wings, Y-Wings, stuff like that. Spaceship combat, yes or no? I'm going to say yes just to be different. So Paris and I have got something okay, to like that. on later when <laughs> the game like comes that. out. I like that. Uh, and then final question, of course, guys. Will Starfield be the next best open world game? Will it be on these top 10 lists in your opinion? Paris, yes or no? In the top 10, yes. Okay. Gary Witta? I, I want I want it to be, and it has the ped. We know, we all know it has the pedigree to be. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to choose to believe in miracle. It's not a no miracle. I'm just, I'm going to choose to believe that the best version of things mm -hmm. is that the best possible outcome is is possible and is going to happen. That it's going to be an absolute 
banger. It's going to be a, like, like a 10 out of 10 all-timer. I, 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 we don't know for sure, but like there's, there, there's every reason why it could be, again, given the pedigree. Um, so I'm, I, I'm, I, my, my hopes are, are very high for it, certainly. Banger. That's what oh, I like Mike. to hear. Yeah. So, Mike, let me turn it back on to oh. you and ask you a quick question. When do we see Starfield? For, oh. Before uh, the quote-unquote E3 showcase? Oh, okay, okay. Or, or during? During. During, 100%. Todd will get the floor. He will get the large spotlight. And we're going to go deep with it, which is what I want to see, and I truly believe that. So b- during your E3 presentation type thing, we'll see. With that, guys, this has been a fun episode. You two absolutely rocked it for the Friday. Brought the energy. And we want to hear from all of you. Let me know. Is Starfield the next best open world game? What do you want to see in it? What are your fun open world things that you love? And most importantly, thank you for watching and listening. Thanks for enjoying another Friday afternoon with these two incredible dudes, myself and Baird on the ones and twos. With that, be good to one another. Say something nice to somebody. Make them smile and play some video games. Peace.